The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you. Be seated. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, the Gospel of Matthew. It's a great time of worshiping the Lord. We are in what is called the Sermon on the Mount, and that is a very deep theological title. It's because Jesus went on the sermon, I mean, gave a sermon sitting on the mountain. And so that's how we come up with those kind of things. But this is called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we're studying what do we call the discourses of Jesus, which are in Matthew. Uh, the discourses of Jesus in the book of Matthew, which a discourse is simply uh, just a speech or a sermon or a teaching time. And so we are looking at Jesus sitting down with his disciples and giving five different uh, teaching times, five different messages to them. He called them, he is equipping them in these messages. And so we see that the context of these messages that we're going to be looking at from now till the book, till the month of May, is that Jesus is equipping his disciples because he is sending them out. That's how the book of Matthew ends. He says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have taught you, or all I have commanded you, uh, even to the, and lo, I am with you even unto the ends of the age. And so the very last thing he does is send them out, having equipped them, uh, with all these teachings and prepared them, and he gives them his spirit so that they have everything they need to go and make disciples. And we are continuing that disciple, that multiplication movement. That's why you sit here today, is because Jesus made disciples who made disciples, and one of them touched your life. And he says, listen, it doesn't stop here. I want you to go and make disciples as well. And so we need to understand, we all who say that we are Christians... That means that we are claiming that we follow Christ, that we are Jesus' disciples. And really, it is much more about being and going than it is about coming and doing religion. And that's, that's a, a transformational thinking that we need to have take place, is that being a Christian or a follower of Christ, or a disciple, is so much more about being and following and going and making disciples than it is about coming here to do some religious practices. This is a part of your equipping because you have been sent out by the Son of God. And so each week in this series, we're trying to remember every week, and we are restructuring our, our community group discussion guides to have this action step embedded, embedded in there each week to say that we should be actively making disciples. And so we're putting action steps in there. And so let's review where we are. The action step so far is get a notebook. If we want God to speak to us and, and we have been sent out by the Son of God, then whether it's an iPad or your phone notes or a piece of paper, a yellow Indian pad, like I love those yellow ones, you know what I'm talking about? Those are great pads. And, or, or it's a notebook. Uh, write down when God speaks to you. And you know, I don't know how God speaks to me. Okay, well, that's part of the journey we're on is learning to hear God's voice, learning what it means uh, to, to be in relational connection with God. And so we want to give you action steps. Get a notebook. The next thing we ask you to do is to begin to engage people that God already has in your life. We kind of think, well, where, who am I supposed to go make disciples? The, the literal phrasing of the Great Commission, go therefore make disciples of all nations, is, is more properly understood. As you are going, 
make disciples. And so as you are going throughout your day, as you are going throughout your home, your work, your, the community, uh, as you are doing life, when you're going to the grocery store, when you're going to the, as you saw, I said last week, I don't remember which service, but my life has a lot to do with doctors right now. So as I went to the eye doctor, as I went to the back doctor, as I think about whatever next doctor I'm going to go to, as I am going, I, I need to be making disciples. As I go to the football games... I need to be making disciples. As I have Monday night football parties and Friday and Saturday night football season, and it's exciting, is it fun? Am I making disciples? That's what Jesus is saying, that as you are going, you need to be making disciples. And so this week we said engage someone and ask them. And you still have got a few days, if, depending on when your group meets. Uh, but ask someone, hey, how would you describe a Christian? And, and let them describe some, some characteristics of a, discretion, of a Christian to you. And, and really a part of the idea there is we want you engaging people in your life. But also listen to how they describe Christians and see if it compares to what we see and how Jesus is describing his followers in the pa- passage that we're looking at today. So do, have you engaged? As you engage, you're probably afraid and you have fears. And that's when we know we need Jesus. We need the Spirit of God. We need His courage. We need His help. We need a community, a support group. I need to go back to my group and talk about this. And that's what your assignment will be coming up. Is The next step is, hey, go to your group. Share how that engagement went. Share how it went with when you engage someone. Talk about the feelings, the fears, the excitement, the, the thrill, the, what they said, and then pray for that person by name. Pray for that person that you've engaged by name. And so each week we were making disciples, and we asked the Lord to equip us this morning to do that. Let me pray. Lord, help us this morning to, to grasp what you're teaching in these verses. Uh, Lord, help us to be equipped as disciple makers, help us to fully understand that you have sent us out to make disciples, to be disciples who make disciples. If we're following you, that's what you did, Lord, and help us to do that well. Equip us this morning as we look at your scriptures. It's in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. All right, so we come to the second half of what is called the Beatitudes, which is the first part of his sermon. These Beatitudes where he says, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Uh, very briefly, again, what does that mean, blessed are? I've been really wrestling with trying to get this, convey this, because this sermon is very misunderstood by many, many people. Many people turn this sermon of Jesus into uh, works-based righteousness. Uh, for example, today, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy from God. And they say, oh, so if I am merciful to others, God will be merciful to me. No, 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 no. That is not what Jesus is saying. It's the opposite order. What Jesus is saying is those who receive the mercy of God, those who are living the blessed life of God, they know they shall receive the mercy of God. They have received the mercy of God. They will be merciful to others. It's very similar to the fruit of the Spirit. That if you have the Spirit, this is the fruit that you will see. This is evidence. This is what the Spirit produces in your life. And so we need to understand that the blessed life, it's, it's kind of like I sent a, a college off to kids this, this week. That shows you how, what effect it has on you. I sent my kid off to college this week. Now, when you start to send a child off to school and you realize, ah, to a large extent, I'm done, you know, hope, hope. Hope it goes well. You know, hope it did my job, you know. Uh, You you start to think, what do I want to say to them? 
I think this is equivalent to that. It's like, listen, remember the blessed life. As my child, I want you to know that the blessed life is following the Lord. The blessed life is walking in his ways. The blessed life is this. It's not saying, I'm not saying to my child, hey, if you go and live this way, I'm going to bless you with something good. I'm going to give you a treat or I'm going to do something nice for you. And we tend to do that with Jesus. And that's not what he's saying. He's not saying, hey, if you do these eight things or you do these four things, I'm going to go give you something good. That's not what he is saying. He's describing for us the blessed life, the divinely approved life. And it includes this concept of happiness, that that the truly divinely happy life, joyful, blessed life of God, who is the giver of all life and blessing, is described this way. He's sitting his children down, these 12 disciples who he said, follow me. They walked away from everything. And they following, they're following him. And he sits down at the mountain. And there's crowds all around going, this dude's healing people. This dude's amazing. And he has his 12 disciples. And he's speaking to them. But he knows the crowd's listening. And he says to his disciples, hey, listen. Here's the blessed life. Here's, here's the life that, that I want you to have. Here's a life of my disciples. This is what it looks like. These are what, this is what my disciples look like. Last week we saw he started with the relationship with God. And he talked about the nature of what it's like to relate to God. And we very simply said it's a humble, meek, hungering and thirsting for his righteousness, realizing that I have no righteousness on my own. It's a humble, repentant, depending on him and his grace and his righteousness, because I realize I am unrighteous. And so the blessed Life that we live begins with that right relationship with God that depends on Christ's righteousness as a gift to us. And that transforms us because upon that conversion, that salvation, the Spirit of God lives within us. And he starts to produce these characteristics today that we're going to see deal with our relationship with others. So really what he's saying is here's how my disciples relate with others because they are my disciples. And we're going to see it's very countercultural. All of this is, I know Jesus is sitting there with his disciples going, you're going to, this is radically different than anything that you've been seeing, anything that you've been hearing. Let me, let me make sure you understand what it means to follow me. And so as we see today, these blessed are the merciful. This is verse 7 of chapter 5. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. And for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So in these verses, we see a couple of things. First of all, we see God's description of the perfect disciple. This is what my disciples should look like. And so what do we do that? It's similar, it's similar to how we should handle the law. When we read like the Ten Commandments, we see in it God's perfect will of living with God and living with others, loving God and loving others. And we see we don't measure up, and then we turn to God for His grace and forgiveness, but then we make that law, we make this description, the vision for our lives. 
This is who we want to be. This is who we strive to be. This is who God promises He is increasingly making us to be in this life as we walk in accordance with His wills, as we humble ourselves and seek to obey Him and become His disciples and say, let me follow you. Yeah, I want to do that. I want to be that. He says, and you will do that because that's who I'm making you until one day I finally come and the future tense birds come about. And He says, and I'm going to make you perfectly merciful. I'm going to make you all these things completely. So this is a vision for who we are to be. It's also a challenge for are we being that right now? Is this who we are? If so, that's credit to the glory of God. So first, who are we to be as we follow Jesus? First of all, we are to be merciful. Look at verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy. Again, that's not saying if you're merciful, you will receive mercy. It's saying the blessed are the merciful because they shall receive mercy. Those who are merciful, it's evidence that they have and will experience the full mercies of God. So what does it mean to be merciful? Well, it's closely related to this idea that we talked about last week of being meek. And humble, that the meek, we said last week, we said the meek are those who have a proper view of themselves. Again, all of these are not, they're not personality traits. We hear meekness and we think of someone who's just kind of quiet and introverted. No, no, an extroverted person can be meek. Meekness is not about a personality trait that we're trying to fit this little profile of a, of a good little churchgoer. Meekness is someone who properly understands their position before a holy God. And when we properly understand, I'm not holy, he is holy, he demands holiness, I need help. And I find my help, my rescue, my hope is only in Christ, his righteousness. And apart from that, I am doomed. And that produces within us a meekness, a meekness that extends mercy to others, a meekness that understands, boy, God sure has been merciful to me. I've tasted his mercy, and it produces within me an ability first, an ability to be merciful to others, and a desire, at least at some level, an increasingly, hopefully, an increasing desire to be merciful to others, And so, to be merciful is to have compassion, to offer forgiveness, to be humble and understanding. And this attitude of meekness that's playing out in our relationships shows up in all kinds of situations. Let's just think of, of two examples of where being merciful shows up. One is when someone has sinned against you. Just flat out sinned against you. Not accidentally. Not like, oops, I didn't mean to offend you, brother. But like, no, they just did you wrong. And you are ticked. And what does the world say? If you are the world's disciples, you do what? Get them. Get even. Get them back. And maybe even get them worse to teach them a lesson. You mess with me, you get it worse. Don't mess with me. Right? Right? Think about the world that Jesus is talking to. I mean, it was a barbarian type world. And he's saying, let me tell you what my disciples live like. Blessed are the merciful, 
Instead of blessed are the powerful. Blessed are those who have great authority and power and wield it with great success. He says, no, blessed are the merciful. Very counter-cultural, very counter-intuitive. He's saying, my people live radically different than the world. And so he's saying, listen, when someone sins against you, you have to fight the desire for revenge. You have to wage war internally, not waging war with them, but wage war with the sinful desires that are still lingering in your life, even as followers of Christ. When everything inside you says, get even, get even, make sure you teach them a lesson, combat them with wrath. He says, that's not how I treated you. He says, I thought you were following me. If you want to follow me, then do the way I do. And I treated you with mercy. As we were sinning against God, he forgave us, offered us reconciliation with himself, And he says, that's the spirit that lives within you now. That's the kind of heart I've given you. And so he says, strive to be that. Strive to become that. When everyone around you is completely different, everyone around you is the opposite. I don't want you to live like that. I want you to be merciful. I want you to extend forgiveness. I want you to be meek and extend grace. I want you to to go out of your way to offer Forgiveness to them, even if they're not asking for it. We think, well, I'll forgive them when they ask. I'll forgive them when they straighten up. Well, who wouldn't do that when they're kissing up to you? But that's not what the Lord says. The Lord says, you forgive, you extend mercy to those who have sinned against you. And all these beatitudes, all these passages, we could think about application in four categories. This might help you. When you go back to your groups or you're in your personal study, your time with the Lord, uh, in your family, in your church, in your workplace, in your community. Where, where can I be merciful when my spouse sins against me? And it's good to use biblical terms, at least you may not use it in the middle of a battle. That's sin against me. I'm going to be merciful to you. That may not be the best way to do it. But in your own mind, when someone hurts your feelings, when someone offends, when someone does something against you, say, okay, I've been sinned against. What does the Lord teach me? Well, I sinned against the Lord and he extended great mercy to me. And he says, blessed are the merciful. My children are merciful. So be merciful when someone sins against you. It also means, another example is, it means having compassion for others when they are in pain and misery and distress. Even if their pain, hear me on this part. I think we're going, oh, I'm merciful like that. Even if their pain, their misery and distress is self-inflicted. When you want to go, you know what? They brought it on themselves. Time and time again, I told them. And you just want to justify that little calloused layer on your heart. I mean, I don't ever have these temptations. I just know Jordan's been telling me this is what he struggles with. And so, 
No, seriously, you, you, that's what we do, right? You know, I'm going to be merciful to that person who gets their, they, they've messed up. And I'm going to have compassion on their pain and their misery and their stress. But that person who doesn't seem to get it, and they just keep making the same stupid decisions, I just get to the point where I'm like, you know what? I don't have to be merciful anymore because they are not learning their lesson. My wife and I were talking about that this week. We had someone that we love in our life, and, and we made a sacrifice to, to, to help them and to show mercy and kindness to them in their situation. And they just took it and threw it in the trash can and wasted it. And we're going, are you kidding me? And, and the temptation there, as we're driving down the road, is they, they have need again. The temptation is to say, I'm sorry. I helped you once. You're on your own now. Now, we need to use wisdom and discernment and discretion and pray and seek God's will on whether it's wise or not to, to help them in certain ways. But we don't have to ask, Lord, do I need to be merciful? We need to be merciful, which means I need to, to make that prayer, make that decision of how I am involved in their life and how I help them or not. Whether I bless them with another gift or not is to say in the middle of it, but I... Lord, I, I empathize. I have mercy towards them. I, can, I, I, I love them. I, I feel their pain. I have compassion for them in their situation, even if it's self-inflicted. So maybe this week, think about your life. Think about these categories in your, in your home life, your marriage, your parenting, your family. Think about it at church, your relationships. Maybe it's in community groups. Maybe it's just relationships. Maybe you work with someone and someone ticked you off royally back there. How are you responding in your workplace and in the, in the community in general? How are we striving to be merciful people completely contrary to the way the rest of the world reacts? Is the, reacts. All these characteristics, if we will be these people, we will be very countercultural people. And we're going to see next week that's a big part of being the salt and the light God's called us to be. Be merciful. Also, we see, he, he says in verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The, the pure in heart is how he describes the people who will see God. Those who shall see God as members of the kingdom of heaven. Remember, this is a unit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In between is all these verses. Those who are the kingdom of heaven. Those who are living the blessed life of God as members of the kingdom of heaven are described here as pure in heart. Now, what does that mean? The Bible describes the being pure in heart, first of all, as having your sins cleansed having the wicked old heart of stone removed. This is Old Testament language. The prophet said there's going to come a day where their hearts of stone will be removed. They'll be given hearts of flesh and the spirit of God. And we are cleansed and purified by his righteousness as a gift through faith in Jesus. But here we're talking more about the horizontal relationships, purity of heart that flows from that new life in Christ, from the Spirit of God dwelling in us, having been cleansed in our hearts and forgiven of all unrighteousness, now that we are disciples of Jesus, he says, now when you relate to one another, I want you to be pure in heart. What does that mean? That means that we have uh, no, no, neg no secret motives 
We have no bad intentions. We have no duplicity in life. We have no, uh, you know, little manipulation going on. We don't have a secret agenda. We simply live purely before the Father, living to seek the good of others and to love others. To be pure in heart with others means to have pure motives, no devious intent, no secret intentions. And this frees us up to live sincere, open, honest, straightforward, transparent, authentic lives. Our culture craves authenticity. Usually I get to share with you how stupid I am and how I get things wrong. I am excited to tell you this has been a great blessing that God has has done in my life. I've been able to experience the freedom and the the joy and the blessedness of, of being pure in heart with others. But it came very painfully. It's embarrassing to share with you my journey, but... For some reason, somehow, some way, in my growing up, I learned how to live very skillfully a duplicitous life. I was whoever I needed to be with whoever I was with. I, I, I knew the outward egregious sins that would, would get me in trouble with my parents or get me in trouble with the church. And so I didn't do those outwardly. I knew how to be cool at elementary. I'm embarrassed to say the things that I did at elementary age, having now raised kids, to be cool, yet at the same time going to church and being this person. And somewhere in those early days, I learned to be multiple people, learned to put on multiple masks depending on which crowd I was with. And that's the complete antithesis of what, Pure in heart means. And then in middle school and then in high school, it started to change. And it all started to change in middle school when I was at a church camp. I don't know how much of this I want to share, but I was at church camp. And I'm jumping off the diving board. This is deep, okay? This is what you go through in middle school. Jumping off the diving board by the, trying to do two flips. And about somewhere halfway through, I realized this is going to hurt really bad. And something projected out of my mouth in front of all the camp that was not acceptable speech. And so when I hit the water, the mask had been removed. And so I, was, I held to the bottom of that ladder. I said, I'll drown. I'm not coming up. <laughs> you know, I would rather die than to come out of this water and face everyone that just had realized what's going on inside my, my uh, not pure in heart. And a counselor was just gracious, and he came to me, and I was like, ruh here it comes. And we talked, and I said, I can't, I can't quit doing that. And, and that wasn't just, that was a symptom of, of, a different, of a deeper issue that was not pure in heart. And he said, hey, ask, ask the Lord to help you. Well, that's a good idea. And so I began to ask the Lord to clean up my speech, clean up my life, clean up who I am. And by God's grace, over the years, now I still struggle with being a people pleaser. That's where the root of that is. I want people to like me, okay? I want you to like me. Okay, I've confessed that. I don't really want you to hate me, all right? So, so I, I learned over the years 
man, it feels good just to be transparent, to be pure in heart, to be sincerely wanting what's right and good, no matter what the consequences, there becomes, there, there is, you, the blessed life is pure in heart. It is more blessed. It is happier. It is better. There's an authenticity, a rest, a transparency, a sincerity that comes that you can enjoy from being pure in heart. Now, what if you find yourself in that place? It's the same prayer that that counsel led me to pray. Lord, help me. Make me, make me this person. Make me the, the same person that I am here, that I am at work, that I am at home, that I am in the community. Make me that person, Lord. And he will begin the journey of making you pure in heart. It all begins, obviously, with trusting Christ and being cleansed and having a new heart to start with. Can't have it without that. Finally, or no, uh, next we see we are also to be peacemakers. Peacemakers. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So members of the kingdom of God, those who have been given a new heart upon faith in Christ, those who will one day bear the title sons of God, shall be peacemakers on this earth. Paul says in Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far, I love this verse, that's why I'm reading this one with it. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. What is peace? Peace means reconciliation. Those who have been reconciled with God through Jesus Christ have the peace Of God, we have peace with God, as you heard in one of the messages this summer. Those who have been reconciled with God as through Him, the peacemaker, become peacemakers with others. If we're going to be called the sons and daughters of God, the peacemaker, we will be peacemakers in this life. So, when we think of what does this look like in our life, think of your family. Are you a peacemaker in your marriage? Oh, these practical sermons step on the toes. Are you a peacemaker in your marriage? You're probably a better peacemaker if you're like most, if you're like me. It's easier to be a peacemaker with someone you ain't married to than with someone you are, right? That's weird, isn't it? The person you said, I will love them more than anyone on the face of this earth is not the person we are best usually at being peacemakers with. Reconciliation. Are you willing to listen? Are you willing to admit you were wrong? Are you sincerely intent on loving and serving your spouse? So many opportunities to apply this in our marriage. By God's grace, with much prayer, God will make us peacemakers if we'll work at it, if we'll strive for it, if we'll desire it, if we will put forth the painful effort. He will make you a peacemaker. In our community, I think this is the obvious great opportunity in our, in our community is with racial reconciliation. My word. 
do we live in a divided world? We live in a culture where the news is so dominated by the loud, divisive, hateful voices from every side of every issue. I guess the other kind of voices just aren't very entertaining. And so who's going to put that on TV, right? And it just feeds, it just feeds the divisiveness. So for starters, we can listen a lot more, talk a lot less. I'm not saying don't have a voice. I'm not saying don't stand up for truth. I'm just saying don't do it in a divisive, hateful way that just doesn't bring peace. It only brings division. Peace is found not from ignoring truth and just saying, hey, can we just all agree? It's not what I'm saying. Peace is found in reconciling around the truth, lovingly speaking the truth and bringing reconciliation as we together see the truth. So let me state this very clearly. Racism is wicked and sinful. Prejudice is wicked and sinful. I've studied the terms lately as I've examined my own heart, as I've thought about how to respond to what we're seeing in our culture. Let's look at the terms of the two briefly. Racism versus prejudice. Racism, Webster's Dictionary defines it. There was three choices, and I think this one was the best. The belief that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. If you think that you are better than someone because of your race or less than someone because of your race, that is completely contrary to God. That is sinful and wrong. The Bible teaches we are all created in the image of God. And let me tell you something, Jesus ain't white. We are all created in the image of God. We are equal image bearers and all humans deserve respect, love, just like you want. I mean, you just, I just can't even imagine that there are people who follow Christ and think that they are better because of their race. Now, prejudice is probably a lot bigger issue in our lives. The definition of prejudice based on the dictionary is a preconceived judgment or opinion. A preconceived judgment or opinion all the time. Hate it. See certain things whether it's race, economics, personality, whatever, stereotype them, lump them in a category, and it is hard not to do it. It's sinful. It's wrong. And I think it's happening rampant on every single side of the issue. It's wrong to assume something about someone just because of some preconceived judgment or opinion. When it comes to race relationships, Jesus said this about the Jews and the Gentiles. Or Paul said it. He said, Jesus created in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Reconciling the Jew and the Gentile. That's, that's all-inclusive categories. All Jews or Gentiles. That's everybody. So that they might recon- so he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So if we are disciples of Jesus, we must be peacemakers. We must strive for racial reconciliation. We must 
combat racial, economic, or any other form of prejudice. The first thing we do right now, as I'm saying this, if, if we're honest, is, yeah, but you need to tell someone else this or that. No. This is for us. You can't change them. I can't change them. It's not our job to change anyone else. Jesus is telling us to change. So I would invite you to remember that you are called a son of God. You are called a daughter of God. We must act like it when we go out there. We must act like it with what we forward in our emails. We must act like it with the posts that we like. If you're watching news channels that just are saying things that are, yeah, stop and think. Is this really who we are to be in Christ? When God reconciled us to himself, it came at extraordinary cost. So we must know that to be peacemakers, it will come at a great cost. And John Stott describes the cost that we often will face when we live as peacemakers. He mentions the cost of the pain of apologizing. That is a very costly exercise. The struggle of reconciling includes, he says, there will be a pain of listening. It is so painful to listen sometimes. Of ridding ourselves of prejudice is very painful. Of striving sympathetically to understand both the opposing points of view. And of risking misunderstanding. Don't you hate being misunderstood? You say something you think is going to help and all of a sudden you're like, No, that's not not what I meant. Ingratitude. Someone doesn't appreciate your efforts. You're like, I'm here, I'm trying to make peace. And all, they, don't, they don't appreciate it. Or the pain of failure, trying to make peace. Whether it's friends seeking reconciliation, whether it's marriages, whether it's racial reconciliation, it's hard, painful work. But we're going to be called to be peacemakers if we're following Christ. If Christ has saved you, then that's your call, to be a peacemaker. Finally, we are to be joyful in persecution. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's important. Persecuted for righteousness' sake, not persecuted for being an idiot. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, revile you, and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on Jesus' account, not because you said something dumb, but on Jesus' account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus is saying, when you're persecuted for my sake, when you're persecuted for being righteous, not for going out there and just looking for persecution, not for going out there and being obnoxious, but because you're just doing what I'm calling you to do, when you are persecuted for that, when you're persecuted for standing up for Jesus, when you're persecuted for being righteous or speaking up for righteousness, You are blessed and you should rejoice. And he mentions three reasons we should rejoice. In verse 1, he said, or verse 10, because ours is the kingdom of heaven. That's evidence that you're in the kingdom. Verse 12, our reward is great in heaven. And verse 12 again, we are in the same company of God's great prophets who also were persecuted for his name's sake. 
So when you are persecuted for Jesus' sake, when you are persecuted for righteousness, if you engage someone about Jesus this week and you are persecuted vilely for it, praise God. Praise God for that. That doesn't mean it's not hurtful. That doesn't mean it doesn't cause great pain. But praise God, that's evidence that you are following Jesus, your Savior. Now, this challenges us in two ways. First of all, if you're like me, you go, well, am I ever persecuted? I'd say, if not, that's fine. We're not masochists. We're not saying, go look for persecution. But let me ask you this. Is it because we never stand for righteousness? Is it because we never represent Jesus? Now, if it's just because God has given you a season of peace and blessing, praise the Lord for that. But if your life is not standing for Jesus and you've never been persecuted, then we need to do business with the Lord and say, Lord, help me represent you better so that I might actually be persecuted for righteousness. The second way to think about this is do I treasure? Can I not rejoice during persecution because I, am, I treasure the approval of man more than I treasure my standing in Christ? He says, rejoice. You say, I can't rejoice when I'm persecuted. Why? Because I treasure the approval of man more than I treasure Christ. So these are all calls that God has called us to. This should be a vision for our life. This is who we want to be. This is who God's made us to be. This is who God's making us to be. This is who God declared us to be. This is who represents God in our culture. This is who we are. The question is, where are you in this battle? Do you have the new heart of Christ? Are you striving for this, praying for this, sharing with your community group your struggles for this, and seeking to make these realities in your life? Or are we just going through the motions, calling ourselves Christians, doing a little religion, and going home and calling it a week? I pray this will be what the Lord awakens in us these attributes. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would awaken in us these attributes, that you would awaken by the Spirit of God a desire to know you, to, to follow you, to be like you, to, to, to become who you've called us to be, Lord, by your Spirit, with your help, by your grace. Awaken within us the Spirit of God to make us the type of disciples you called us to be. Lord, as we sing this song, I pray that you will work in our hearts, that we will consider where we are not these things, and we'll do business with you, Lord. I pray that we'll feel free to come to the altar and, and pray before the people and pray before you to, to try to make a, a major step of turning in our life, that we will uh, start with trusting Christ as Savior, receive his spirit, and then begin to walk in the newness of life with your empowerment, with your grace. Help us do business with you this, during this season of singing. It's for your glory. It's by your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, 
please visit us online at norseverychurch.org.